0: Welcome to the Growlix Podcast. This is Randy. And I am Jesse. In the future, tennis shoes will be manufactured without tongues, so they can't tell anyone our secrets. In the future, public schools will offer
1: nunchucks and cross-stitch as after-school clubs.
0: All right, let's let's do it. What what was this? Which con was this? Okay, this was Planet
1: Comic Con, and this happens in Kansas City. So this for us, um, we went down in a car uh, full of four people, uh, myself and three others, and we just went on Sunday. And originally, we thought uh, we would maybe miss some some of the con traffic because you know, like traditionally, Sunday is kind of a slow con day. Mm-hmm. But uh as the as the guest list started coming out, uh, we found out that Shatner was going to be there, but only on Sunday. So there went our plan for it to be like an easy day to you know, like hit everything. It was still pretty good, but um I would say that the uh the fact that Shatner was only there that day probably increased um the 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 general con population and made it more like what a typical Saturday would be. Uh, This year they broke records for their attendance, which was awesome. Yeah, Um, just to kind of give an overall idea, um, the the media guests this year included a huge uh, reunion of most of the cast of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, as well as. uh, William Shatner was out there on the Sunday. Um, so you had Levar, LeVar Burton, you had Brent Steiner, you had um, Worf, you had uh, Will Wheaton, who, you know, he's popular for more than just Star Trek. But then you also had was it Deanna Troy, and um, I, I can't even remember her name, but uh, w- Wesley Crusher's mom. So uh-huh. Dr. Crusher. Oh, Beverly C- Crusher. So you had just about, and Riker was there. Pretty much the whole uh, like command crew, aside from Patrick Stewart, of course. Uh-huh. He was the only one that w- wasn't really there as far as main Star Trek personalities that you think of. And so that was like a huge draw. They also, like the original guests that they had announced were Margot Kidder. Who played Lois Lane in the in the Christopher Reeve's Superman movies? Mm-hmm. And uh, Lee Majors, who was the Six Billion Dollar Man, and uh, I remembered him as the Fall Guy. I had the Fall Guy truck growing up, and so I was like Six Billion Dollar Man, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but they also had uh, they had a couple of you know they had other people like uh, Rastenberger who who was in Cheers and also does voiceovers in like Toy Story and stuff. Um, They also had Sylvester McCoy, which was the huge draw for me. He was was priority number one, for sure. Uh, They had the Blue Power Ranger from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers day, uh, Billy Yost. I think it's Billy Yost. Or David Yost. I'm going to get that mixed up. Anyways, the Blue Power Ranger was there. (laughs) 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 Um I you know I'm going to I'm going to forget a bunch of the media guests which is unfortunate but uh there, a, were,
0: there were quite a few That's huge. That is a huge guest yeah. list. I didn't know yeah. about I didn't even know about a quarter of them.
1: Yeah, and and uh and, and I'm missing a whole bunch. There were there's some from shows that I haven't watched. Uh oh, uh Jewel Slate who is who came to Omaha a couple of years back for Contagion. Uh she's in Firefly, played Kaylee. She was there. Oh. I forgot her because I've already seen her. Uh, and then when we were in line, and the line was incredible, we we got our uh, pre-ordered tickets, and s- so that we didn't have to go through, you know, the day of line, and that that put us pretty close to the front of the line. As we're standing there, um, I'm next to one of the you know like the Star Trek guys, and he he pointed out the fact that uh, John Delancey was also going to be there, and he played Q he was not on the original guest list that I was aware of. And so we got there and and he was there and he's like super, you know, like notoriously super fun at cons. He, he kind of, you know, tools around the whole con and doesn't just hang out at his table. And I even kind of watched that happen.
0: Uh, not to sidetrack you. Um, is that when you got yelled at?
1: Yes, yes, I got yelled at because I was. I took a picture of John Delancey and I didn't realize that you couldn't take pictures of any of the Star Trek guys. Um, you could take a picture of like Will Wheaton, or at least he was cool with it, but then all of the Star Trek folks were kind of. They had their own, almost like their own little wing of booths. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so the way that it works is the con makes money off of. You know, autographs and photo ops. And so for all the Star Trek guys, if you wanted a photo, you had it, you had to go through their professional photographer, which was through the con, so that the con could make money off of the autographs and they could make money off of uh, photo ops. And so I took a picture of Del- Delancey because he's, he's like not staying at his booth and I'm like, Man, that's awesome. He's up and around and stuff. Like, he walked up to his line because the line is back away from the tables. And they do kind of that roped line thing where you kind of – it creates kind of an S um, mm-hmm. where you're in between these poles with, with the tape and whatnot. Yeah, like
0: a bank, yeah. bank line or whatever.
1: Yes, yeah, or like when you hit Burger King at lunchtime and, and you got to wait. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's that's what I'm more used to. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not in a big line of people that have money, so
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm standing off to the side and I'm trying to take pictures of. I got like three pictures before they caught me. I was really I was going to try to get a picture of Levar Burton, and then I noticed that he, John Delancey was was being you know super interesting. So
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry to sidetrack you, but I thought that was uh, humorous when you sent me the message. And yes, yeah, you got his picture, but they yelled at you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I would have got more pictures if uh, I hadn't if I hadn't done that. But that's all right. Um, one of the coolest pictures that I got was I was in I was in Lee Major's line. And I get up to the front of the line and they have kind of a a gal at the front or, or a guy at the front that kind of tells you when you can go up to the table proper. And, uh, she's like, Whoa, is, is Will Wheaton getting chewed out by his TV mom? And so I look over there and it is, it's, it's the gal that plays Beverly Crusher. And, uh, She's talking to Will, and, and he's, like, looking, like, super freaked out and stuff, and she looks super stern, and uh, that was probably my favorite photo, and it's all because the gal that was watching the Lee Majors line pointed it out to me, or I would have totally missed that moment.
0: That's great. I wonder what was going on.
1: I have no idea what was going on, but he was just like, "Oh no!" You know, he like had this. He's he's super animated. He talks with his hands and stuff a lot, and so it was it was interesting. And so I I look over there. He's got his mouth like wide open and stuff, and she looks like super serious, like something happened. And <laughs> Wesley's <laughs> head.
0: Wesley got in trouble by his mom. <laughs> that, that that was the caption,
1: but I, I'm sure that's not what was happening. No, but yeah, yeah, That was it. Was pretty funny. I thought, oh no, he's getting in trouble. And that's that was kind of her joke. Actually, was the, the gal that manned the line at Lee Majors. Yeah, I started the day like we got there about an hour early, so that we wouldn't be way in the back of the line. And uh, we were still, we were still, you know, I'd say the first eighth of the line, I suppose, back. And uh, we got in there, and immediately my first priority was to go ahead and get into Sylvester McCoy's line um, because he was the only uh, Doctor Who representative at the con, and the first Doctor Who um, representative at that con in, t- in its you know its whole run, probably the first one to come to the Midwest aside from uh, Chicago TARDIS, which happens around Thanksgiving. Hmm. I guess this year it was pretty big, but uh, this was the first time that he'd been to Kansas City, and I watched a little bit of his panel because they've posted it on online um, through Traveling the Vortex, which is a podcast for Doctor Who. Oh, and it's a it's a really fun um, panel. So if you get a chance, you know, yeah, uh, maybe take
0: a look at that. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. Um, shortly after, your, I want to say the next day or so, I was kind of scouring YouTube for clips of the of, of planet con, but I couldn't find too, too much at that point, but it takes time to upload those. I'm sure.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I got into his line right away and, um, I, I found out pretty quickly that the, uh, that the way I planned my, my time in, in the media lines was, was, uh, I, I had prioritized it, but I had not thought about what would be the most efficient because I got into McCoy's line because that was the most important one to me right off the bat and uh, met him. And he was one of the few people that was allowing you to take pictures at the booth. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, so I was, I was super geeking out about that. I had to send that to you before. That
0: that is a great picture.
1: I said that that morning (laughs) I was was at the con and I'm sending that
0: out and I'm like, Randy's got to see this.
1: And I had totally
0: spaced the con out. You had told me about it a while ago. And at that time, I was interested because you mentioned McCoy and Scott Snyder. So I was looking to see what the schedule would be like, but they didn't have it up at that time. And then Mm. I just, then I just spaced it off until you sent me a picture of you with McCoy. I was like, Oh my God. But, uh, yeah, that's a great picture. It's a good picture.
1: Yeah, I, I'm like, how am I out of focus? <laughs> I feel like I'm out of focus, and maybe I'm not, but I just feel like I'm vibrating too much or something. <laughs> I'm doing a flash thing where I'm vibrating out of my own skin.
0: So what did you talk to, what did you talk to him about?
1: Well, and you don't get a whole lot of time with them because Mm -hmm. they kind of cycle through the people in the line so that nobody stands there waiting for too long. But when I got up to him, he's kind of – this is right away in the morning. So they're already kind of talking about how – like when he wants to head back to the UK and and when he can get a flight. So he's doing a little bit of that banter with the the people at his table when I I get up to him. And uh, I had brought – a Big Finish CD um, booklet for him to sign. Um, each table had photos that you could have signed, and, and that would have been cool, and I probably should have went that route. But uh, one of the people that wrote up with me wanted to get an autograph too, so I had him sign my CD booklet and then also an autograph for somebody else. And so I got to uh, talk to him about Big Finish a little bit, and he, I'm I'm a little bit awkward, I, just in just in general, but especially with like people I don't know, and then add the fact that they're celebrity on top of that, and uh, it, it's it goes the way of they're going to kind of control the conversation, uh-huh. and if they're if they're awkward in any way, then that's going to be a pretty short conversation, but uh, the fact that I brought that cd booklet kind of helped guide it a little bit and he he asked me like what do you you know do you, so you do you like big finish and i was like yes i think i was super excited about this one because the booklet i had him sign was the uh what would have been the next season it would have been the start of the next season oh it's the it's one of those lost stories so is the the script that was penned to follow up survival, which was the last episode that he did before they canceled the series Mm -hmm. until the eighth doctor movie came out in like the nineties. So I, I I told him I was super excited about that one. And he was, and basically he said, I'm surprised that big finish hasn't caught on more because you people drive everywhere. (laughs) Which was pretty funny. So that was that was pretty much the extent of that conversation. Um and then I took the picture and it was on you go. But it was still it was still pretty cool to meet him and he was very friendly and personable. I just I should have had more to talk about. I kind of brought artifacts for these people to sign that I thought would inspire conversation and they did for the most part.
0: That's good thinking. That's a good way to go about it because I don't know what I would say to any of them if I
1: come up to them. Right, and it's, it's like I know better. They're just people, and if you just treat them like people, which they are, then you'll have more to talk about. Um, one of my friends, he has a rule. Uh, Dave Bell has a rule, and that is uh, to have it, like a question ready for him, just one, and so I didn't really have a question ready right for him. So I, I was thinking out my next my next uh, media guest interaction in advance, um, which I got right into Will Wheaton's line. And that's where I realized that I had not planned efficiently. Because if I had gone directly to Will Wheaton's line, I could have shaved like a half hour. Because his line was like super long. I got to imagine his was the second longest line that morning, aside from Shatner. We had, a, we had someone in the car that was getting Shatner's autograph, and so he got into line right away. I was able to get both uh, Will Wheaton and uh, Sylvester McCoy before he was done with the Shatner line. That's how long the Shatner line was, which you kind of expect. So I get into, I get into Will Wheaton's line immediately afterwards and realize, oh, man, McCoy's line is not nearly long enough. <laughs> you know, if I if I had gone right to Will Wheaton's line, you know, I seriously could have shaved about a half hour off my morning and seen seen a few more things. But you know, you live and learn on that situation. Um, and I brought for Will Wheaton. I brought a audio book that he did, which is called uh, Ready Ready Player One, and it's actually written by Ernest Cline. Or Ernie Klein, who is a slam poet, and then he started writing like screenplays. He did the screenplay for uh, Fanboys, which was a, a movie about fans of Star Wars going to, that was trying to sneak in an early viewing of uh, Phantom Menace before we, before we realized what it really was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Melanie joined okay. him, by the way, just so you know. Mel- excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Melanie's here.
3: Yay. Okay. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So you, you, uh, talked to McCoy. Oh, did you hop yes. in, did you hop in, uh, Will Wheaton's line next or? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so okay.
1: I, I went into Will Wheaton's line and I'm, I'm trying to think of what my question is. Cause you know, the one rule I have one question for him when you get up there and, uh, so I brought this I brought this audiobook that he did for Ernest Klein, who did all who did all these kinds of things. And I get up there, and my question for Will Whedon was, "Do you know Ernie?" <laughs> 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 so I, I had this question. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. I had this really great conversation with the gal that was. You know, like taking money and stuff. And <laughs> I, I, at that point, I should have ditched it. I should have just grabbed one of the photos, which are free with an autograph, anyways, and talked about games, because I could have talked about games the whole time. But instead, I was like, I really want him to sign this audio book that was done by somebody that was actually written by somebody else, and then I'm going to ask him about them. <laughs> 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 so you can imagine, you can imagine how uh, awkward things. Went from there, and I I did this with the guy. Like, as I'm standing in line, I'm talking to the guy that they have a sign that shows where the end of the line is. So I'm talking with him for a little while, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Wheaton actually will talk to you. So you know, it's it's the best you know best money you can spend on an autograph." And so I get up there and totally blow it by asking about somebody else.
0: Oh, that's great. Did he know him? (laughs) But.
1: Yeah, oh well, yeah, he knew him. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he actually he told me a story that I that I actually already knew, and so inside my brain, I'm already chewing myself out. I'm like, you already knew this. Why did you ask him that question? <laughs> uh, because one of the one of the reasons that Ernie uh, Ernie Klein blew up was that Will Wheaton posted one of his uh, slam poems about how back when we were kids, th- we didn't have email kind of thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I actually knew that I actually knew that but I wasn't thinking in that moment so I'm like do you know Ernie (laughs) 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 so everybody else got like 15 minutes with him and and super animated Will Wheaton and then I get there and I get like (laughs) five minutes because I'm super awkward (laughs) but it makes for a great story I guess (laughs) yeah yeah it does and that's
0: I think I would handle it much much worse than that. Anyway,
3: <laughs> can I can I uh, call you out for a second? What? When you w- you were he was telling me about you having gone there and met people. He's like, "Who's Will Wheaton?" And I was like, "No,
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, you don't know who oh, no, no, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did not call me out. I don't care. I did not. I mean, obviously, when she told me who he was, I knew who he was, but <laughs> I don't Church. know. I don't know of his other work or anything like that. So,
1: yeah." Well, and yeah, his line was huge. Uh, like I said, he was second only, at least right away in the morning, he was second only to William Shatner himself. Because he's so heavily entrenched in the culture now. You know, he does, board, he does a show on board games, he's on the Big Bang Theory, he's, he's still, you know,
0: Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> he's, still, he's still Wesley Crusher. So. He still gets chewed out by his mom. Yeah, still gets chewed yeah. out by his, his TV mom. Later, later, I'll play the beginning. We haven't been recording too long. I'll play the beginning for you. I think you'll be amused by it. Okay, okay, okay. So what what happened? What uh after him, what was up on the agenda?
1: Well, Lee Major's line was right next door, and his line was super short, which kind of makes me sad because he is the six billion dollar
0: man. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, so I just jumped right into that line, and that line took no time. And like I said, that's when. You know, like she was like, hey, he's getting chewed out by his TV mom. <laughs> and so I, I got a pretty cool moment just out of being in that line alone. And uh, so I get to, I get to meet him and shake his hand. And he's probably about as, I, I don't want to say he's as awkward as I am, but he was very reserved. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, he just basically said hi and shook my hand and signed the photo. <laughs> sure. And that was about it. But he was, he was a nice guy, but he wasn't real talkative or anything. Mm-hmm. So that was, I, I really don't have a story there. It was uh, you're know, like more of the story was standing in that line than, than actually meeting the man. But he was very, he was very nice, very pleasant guy. Then I got to actually go experience the con. I felt like the morning was the work of the con, like uh-huh. standing, standing in these lines, not to say I didn't stand in lines, you know, ever again, but like those lines took a lot longer than any other line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started wandering, you know, I got to wander around and meet some artists and some writers. And I learned some interesting con etiquette, I think. And maybe maybe it's well-known con etiquette or, or not well-known con etiquette. Uh, I met up with some of my friends, and they had already been chatting with people like Freddie Williams, um, who wrote the... He's done lots of things, but he also wrote the digital... DC's Guide to Digital make um, you know, like digital comics. Uh-huh. And so um, going around to those guys, every, you know, like almost all of them signed things for free. They just, you know, you'd bring them a book and they would sign it. And so the thing that I found interesting was that when I got in line for, um, was it John, John Williams who wrote the, he wrote the first mini series. We talked about He-Man and the masters of the universe uh, for DC last time, uh-huh. um, he wrote the he wrote the first uh, arc for that miniseries, and so I got in his line, and it's a pretty long line. I'm wondering, you know, like what's going on here. Well, part of the reason it was such a long line is you had people showing up with stacks of books, like all their monthlies. Like I would say, there were guys that had six to seven comics for him to sign. And I just had one. <laughs> and I thought, Wow, this is weird. You know, like I would think that you would just want to bring one. Yeah. And not if I was log I, down a line.
3: Yeah, if I was the guy signing it, I'd only want people to bring one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think I got a little bit more time with him because of that. Like he when people would just slap a stack down in front of him, he'd just start signing. And then I got up there with just one there and he's like do you want me to personalize it and and uh you know he said hello and and that kind of thing whereas these other guys i I feel like he just kind of just took their stack and started signing them so i think it was probably i think it's probably better con etiquette to show up with just one book as opposed to a whole stack of them yeah it seems
0: a lot more respectful and it sounds like you kind of got a a better experience out of it than the guys that are just like here sign this workhorse
1: yeah. 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 And I I didn't know if maybe these are guys that um, were at like vendor booths that had you know like a, just a bunch that they could now bring home and sell for a little bit more you know and I don't want to call anybody out on that but it, that's what it kind of felt like it's like wow you're just gonna have them you know, like they'd come with a, a stack of JLA's and it's like bam go ahead and sign them yeah. wow
3: yeah I was thinking I was thinking and, something like that or even. Even if it was just for them personally, still, it's I want I want these to be worth more. So you do all this for me, yeah, and that's, they, I don't they, like that. You they
0: should. sign it, and then it shows up on eBay, right?
3: And right. And I don't around. I don't care for that.
1: Well, and and he wasn't even selling anything. You know, he was just at a plain table, just signing books. At, whereas some of the artists, they could sell their work, and you could do a little bit more in in terms of. You know, like income, but mm-hmm. for for him and those a couple of those guys, they were just kind of bang, bang, bang in a row. That's all it was was just kind of like a <laughs> it was like a buffet of getting your books signed. And I was kind of surprised by that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Then I then I went and I got in Scott Snyder's line, and boy, his line was long too. And you know, it probably went as slow as Will Wheaton's line, not because he had time to talk to everybody, but because, again, you had a little bit of that where people were just um, giving him a stack, plus it was the last signing he was going to do before he had to leave the con. Uh-huh. And so, uh, the thing that was cool about Scott, though, was that he would give you a moment. Like, he would, the first thing he does is he, he says hello and shakes your hand. And looks at you, whereas some of them, you know, like you, they look at the thing you hand them. (laughs) Right. And so, I was pretty impressed with how personable he was. And um, my friends that came, they went to him right away in the morning, and so they got a little bit more time to kind of talk his ear off. So that was pretty cool. Oh
0: man, yeah, yeah, I bet.
1: Two more. Well, I guess there's. Probably three more big things that happened, like uh, Tony Moore was there, who he is um, the artist that helped Kirkman start The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. So out of all, all of the um, artists that I met, he was the only one I had to pi- pay for a signing on, uh, which I, I kind of understand, especially when it comes to The Walking Dead and how things went down there. And he was very pleasant, um, but I did have to pay for him to sign my trade for the first volume. But he was pretty pleasant and I got to tell him that I really like the way he does Rick, especially in that first book, because Rick's kind of he's still very innocent and just the way that he draws you he, like he, he, he makes the zombies and the people look very different, especially in those in that first volume. Uh-huh. Where Rick's just the square jaw, you know, he he really I feel like he nails that innocence that, that Rick has in that first volume. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really seen where it goes beyond Volume One as far as art direction goes, but I was really impressed with that first volume for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was cool. Um, then uh, probably I had two two other experiences, and one of them ties into my recent read. So I'll just kind of save that one. Uh, the last the last person that I really interacted with was Bill Amend, who is the artist and author for Foxtrot for who knows how long, for the last several decades. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So huge inspiration to me. And again, another situation where you'd expect to go ahead and pay for his signature. And not only did he sign my book, he draws, you know, a little character, you know, a little character drawing of Jason Fox in the front of it saying, hi, Jesse. Jesse, and, uh, and then he also has prints for sale so I, I was like I've got to buy a print because this is ridiculous that, that I'm gonna pay for you know forty dollars for a Lee major's autograph and uh, Bill amends not charging anything yeah so, yeah and he was very he was very personable uh, granted I had watched a documentary that he was in the night before so I was kind of like prepared for that I was like hey I just watched this documentary and he was like, how was it? I, I I haven't got to see it. And I was like, oh, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't like seeing myself on camera. I was like, I like you. You're like me.
2: <laughs>
1: so, yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun experience. The rest of the day, we just kind of tooled around. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of like, hey look at that costume and whoa look at that and uh you know different booths a lot a lot of different merch vendors and it was some pretty cool stuff to see i would definitely recommend planet comic-con um i would have i would have gone anyways we were planning on going we were even thinking about having a table uh, this year and then finances didn't work out Uh and uh Next year, we're definitely going. I don't know if we'll have a table, but
0: we're definitely going. One thing I wanted to ask you about, some of the videos we did find on YouTube were, it was pretty much just uh, cosplayers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite costumes?
1: Well, you, you've you got all the kind of standard fare where you've got people that dress up like Rose Tyler from Doctor Who. You've got folks that dress up like the Doctor. You've got a lot of people dressing up like Star Trek characters because of all the Star Trek that was in-house that day. Um, there was the Dalek that was going around, and I believe that was just a costume. I don't know if that was somebody that they wanted
0: it was, there. It was a red Dalek, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, and I think, seen, I think
0: that was, seen that thing and yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if he was, um, a guest or if he was just a cosplayer and it sounded like he was just a cosplayer. And that was a, that was a very impressive Dalek to yeah. say the least. A lot of nigh, people, nigh
0: perfect. A lot of people must've liked it because every video we come across, uh, had the red Dalek on it, and then I also saw pictures of it online. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Oh yeah.
1: There was this moment where uh, this guy that was cosplaying as Captain Kirk was facing off against him. Like he got into that <laughs> that that pre pre Kirk fight. Mode where he's got both hands kind of circu- circling, and somebody else was doing like this the fight song that always happens when Captain Kirk gets into a fight. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was that was pretty pretty funny moment. I wish I would have got a picture of that. That, but that happened just after um, my friend Axton got a picture taken with the Dalek. So that was that was probably the most impressive one uh, because you know you had to practically build a robot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is <laughs> it for your costume? Uh, there was a there was a group that came as the girls from Sucker Punch, that movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they were all in the different, you know, like, kind of school schoolgirl with guns and samurai swords garb. That was pretty pretty good. Uh, there were. People that were dressed up in those giant, uh, giant Muppet costumes from Sesame Street with the, Mar- the Martians with the giant mouths. Yeah. My wife just calls them the yip yips. Yeah, yeah. They make that noise. The yip 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 yip. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was pretty awesome. There was two of them. Um, you had stormtroopers. You know, you had your Django or Boba, Boba Fett's. Uh, I, I geeked out because there was a space ghost.
0: Oh yeah, nice.
1: I was excited about that yeah those those were some of my favorites can't think of too many more really mm-hmm. but you saw a lot of you saw a lot of Doctor Who cosplay and you saw a lot of um, Star Trek for sure mm-hmm. Oh uh, as we were getting lunch uh, Daryl DMC from Run DMC he was there he has he's like got a book of his own a comic book. And so like right in the middle as we're in the Quiznos line, he, he just starts it, like he, he shows up and they start busting some rhymes like right, right there in the middle of the con. So that was
0: pretty awesome. Really? Yeah. That's, that's his funny.
2: awesome.
1: Yeah. 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 It was like, that was one of those moments where I was like, this is surreal. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> what I wish I would have, you know, like I wish I would have gone to some of the panels, but that really packed the day just between standing in line and hitting all the merch tables and hitting some of the artists that i wanted to meet like that really sapped the majority of the day and we really wanted to get there was a few panels we wanted to hit but when somebody wasn't at a table they would leave a note about when they were going to be back and so that kind of axed a few of the panels. Like We knew that Bill Amend was going to be at his table at two. There was a panel that we kind of wanted to see at two. Well, we're not leaving without his autograph, because that was one that at least two of us really wanted.
0: Sure, yeah. What would you say is, um, what's your least favorite part of the whole experience?
1: You know, my least favorite part of the experience was seeing people with the stacks. If that that kind of bugged me yeah. when people would walk up to to a creator with just like seven books and and that just felt really impersonal and uh, I didn't like that much. Mm-hmm. That was that was my main beef. Everything else about it was very cool. You know, there's a lot of people. Uh, the con the con food prices are pretty pretty expensive, and uh, you know the fact that you're paying forty dollars for somebody's name on a piece of paper. I mean, like those are some economic things. So it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, and I can't take pictures of people that are just sitting behind a table. I'm not even taking a picture with them, you know, but I'm going to get yelled at for taking a picture of a guy just standing there. Like I, you know, I could run over there and give him a high five, but I can't take a picture of him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now you had mentioned that this was your first, Mid to large size con? Yes, yeah. And, I've done some
1: little ones, but this was the first time where I've had, like, huge um, media guests like this.
0: Uh, and you also mentioned um, you learned a bit about con etiquette, obviously the, the stacks of comics and stuff like that. Was there anything else that you, like, any other piece of knowledge that you're like, if I'm going to a con... If I go to a con this size again, I need to remember to bring this or do this or avoid this.
1: Well, I I kind of planned things out a little bit in advance, and one of the things that I found super useful was having a backpack. Mm -hmm. If I I didn't have a backpack, then there's no way I would have been able to keep everything straight. Um, Also, I knew to carry cash because, yeah, some... Some booths would take credit cards and stuff like that, but not everybody did. And so getting up to the front of the line and then finding out that, oh, you can't pay for this would be kind of a – that would have stunk, especially in some of the really long lines. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, I did a little bit of research, and so the, those were some of the things that I knew coming in was get there early. We got there about an hour early so that we weren't way in the back of the line. If you can get a pre-sell on your ticket, do that because the uh, the line for day of tickets was just crazy. So I definitely recommend if you're going to go to a con, go ahead and, and, and do it early as far as getting your – your tickets is concerned because once we got our will call tickets and we were up in the line and you know, once they opened the doors we were in and we could have been in any line that we wanted to be in right away. Mm -hmm. So those were all, those were all good things to know in advance. And I, I went with a group that wasn't, they weren't newbies. They, this was like their third or fourth planet comic con. Granted, this was one of the biggest ones that they've been to, but It was it was good to have them because they kind of knew what they were doing.
0: Since we got Melanie here, I figure we could do your segue into recent reads. You had a story that was kind of connected to the Comic Con, uh, to the sure, yeah. So okay, yeah, (laughs) awkward segue. Hey,
1: (laughs) recent reads. Recent reads. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. uh, the first recent read that I read was one that I picked up at the con, and uh, on the list of people that were going to be there was this artist named Tim Mayer, and he is a local artist, and I had bought one of his um, one of his books at Krypton actually, and so when I saw his name on the list, I thought, oh yeah, hey, I can bring that one and uh, and get that signed, and it was it was kind of interesting, you know, like going to an independent artist and author's table and then handing them this thing it was like it was like the roles reversed for a second because (laughs) i i slapped this down in front of him and he he just goes oh my goodness where did you get that you know like like (laughs) for a second there i was the rock star i guess just because i had (laughs) one of of his really obscure books and (laughs) So that was, a pr- that was a pretty cool moment. So he signed that, and then they, they upsold me on their current book, which I'm so glad they did. Uh, it's called The Anywhere Man. Hmm. And it's it's just um, it's a three-issue run, it looks like. It's a miniseries, and it's done by Tim Mayer, who was the artist, and then Jeff Lawler is the writer of the series. And it's, um, like, looking at the art style right off the bat, it's black and white. And Tim Mayer, he does kind of this distorted contour line type of style. Like, for the most part, he renders things with this contour line and then he does kind of basic uh, patterning. And he gets really into textures. It looks, you know, like his line work really uh, zooms in on textures and wrinkles and those kinds of things. So, really cool stylized contour line is how I'd kind of describe it his style. Uh Um, and, and kind of the premise of the story is that there's this, this guy that is a Iraq war veteran. so he's come back from some tours in Iraq and he's having a hard time acclimating to life after the war. And so he is basically living off of his vet benefits and he basically is a drunk. And so at the beginning of the book, he winds up, um, Getting kicked out of the bar, you know, he he got cut off, so he's headed home or wherever, and he crashes his car, and then he like in this moment where he's crashed his car, he's kind of fixating on not wanting to be here. I've got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Next thing you know, he like this is where the art really ties in too. Is um, you see him kind of distorted, almost like a Salvador Dali painting. So you take those contour lines and it's like twisted and and it uh, implies this teleportation pretty in, in a pretty interesting way. So boom, he's back in Iraq. So one second he's in this horrible car wreck because he's a drunk driver and he smashes into this building. Boom, he's in Iraq huh. and he doesn't understand what's going on. So he's like, he doesn't want to be here. There's no way I want to be here. And so next thing he knows, he's back at his mom's house. And so he goes inside and he's with his mom and whatnot and he's like, I don't know what's going on and and then he's like, I need somebody that can help and then he's back in his apartment. And in his apartment, um he's in there for like all of a panel before the door is, is basically being burst in and uh, he gets for lack of a better word, kidnapped and brought back to like this interrogation room where they're trying, they kind of explain what's going on here, where he crashed into this this building while they were doing these experimentations on this technology. And for whatever reason, he absorbs that technology and they're trying to figure it out. And so that's kind of the setup for wherever it's going to go next um at the end of the first issue he kind of he's kind of escapes and so you kind of get this idea that they're going to continue pursuing him he's going to continue trying to figure out what's going on and that's kind of where it's at so it's a really intriguing read that i kind of happened upon by accident just because i uh, you know i met these guys at the con and they were they were super friendly
0: that sounds really interesting yeah
1: it does yeah um and uh you can find them on uh uh, right at the end of the book, it says to go ahead and, and check them out on Facebook to find out more about the series. And so it's the Anywhere Men or Anywhere Man, sorry, uh, on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, just kind of search that out. And they both have their own um, websites as well. It's uh, Jeff Lawler, J E F F L A W L E R, no spaces, blogspot.com, and then Tim Mayer, T I M mayer.wordpress.com
0: I imagine they're just independently distributing mm-hmm. the book. Yes. Yeah.
1: I don't know what the page count was, but it was pretty it, you know, it was a pretty good page count and there's no ads, it's beautifully rendered um, as far as, you know, something that's entirely black and white is concerned, just the line work. From an from an art standpoint, it's an, it's an incredible piece, and I would highly recommend it.
0: One thing that me and Melanie both read uh, was Moon Knight number one, and I searched this out because I heard a little bit about Moon Knight. I've never read, read any Moon Knight before,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: mm-hmm. I'm not currently reading. I've fallen behind on All New X-Men and Uncanny X-Men, so I'm not currently reading any Marvel, so I wanted to try to pick this up and check it out. Have you read any Moon Knight, Jesse?
1: Uh, just, you know, mostly books and stories where he is not really the main focus. Like, he's there, and he plays a major part, but he's not, like, the
0: focus of it. Yeah, I don't don't think he's had too many long, ongoing solo series. Yeah.
1: They're usually, like, mini-series, or, like, they start as an ongoing, and then they wind up running about a year, and that's about it.
0: With Moon Knight, he's... Almost a Batman type in a way. He's a rich guy. Mm-hmm. I, I guess he's not really a Batman type at all. He's a rich guy, <laughs> but like he also there was this, some some deal where he died mm-hmm. way back when and was resurrect, resurrected by some type of Egyptian yeah god type thing
3: mm-hmm. or god mm. or or possibly demon or demon. It's, uh, it's hard to say.
0: But basically, the guy is crazy. Um, I guess the other, the other solo issues is kind of played up like a multiple personality. Um, what do they call it? They have a new term for that. They don't call it that Uh,
3: Dissociative disorder? Yeah.
0: Ah. Um, they played that up and in this one, they're not so much playing up that he actually has these other personalities, just that he thinks he does or something like that. Um, Uh. it's, it's really weird when it gets into there's this weird sequence where he's talking to like a, um, a psychologist. Uh, and this is just a little part. Most of it is him doing a little detecting work and helping out the police with this, this serial killer basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that part of the book, I, I enjoyed all the book, but it was pretty, it was like really straightforward. Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of like, here's this guy. Um, the police call him in. They do some like exposition to explain, you know, the, that technically the police shouldn't be consulting him because he's a known murderer. Yeah. Or at least that Moon Knight is a known murderer, so they have to refer to this guy as Mr. Knight. Yeah. They can't say Moon Knight because then they'll have to take him in. <laughs> I <laughs> thought that was interesting. Yeah, I
3: like that part too. <laughs> uh,
0: and so they have him consult... Oh, what was that?
1: Oh, it just made me think of Goldmember.
0: <laughs> You're like, don't say Mole. <laughs> don't say Moon Knight. <laughs> Moon Knight. and and they have him consult on this this uh it's not necessarily a serial killer but kind of it's a this guy on a killing spree type type thing Mm -hmm. um and then from there he basically goes and takes care of the guy himself yeah and (laughs) leaves the cops behind but he's kind of an interesting character because he's like a I say that he's a Batman type in that he's this rich guy. So he's got means and he's like a go after evil doers in the night, except he wears all bright white. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) he's, and at one point they mentioned, you know why, you know, goes at people after people at night, why wear white? And he's like, so they see me coming. He wants them to see him coming. Mm -hmm. And the artwork is really cool because, and I, I I'm not sure who, who did the art offhand, but, the artwork is cool because it's kind of a, you know, the artwork's nice and it's like a, a standard comic book look, except for Moon Knight, the way they they draw him, it's almost like they don't color him at all. Like, everybody else has got regular type coloring with shading and all that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like with him, he's just white with the with the inked pencils mm-hmm. and no, like, shading or anything. So he really, like, pops on each panel and page he's in. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting oh. decision.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he's just flatted.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he's totally like he's flatted, whereas everybody else has, uh, the added detail from the shading and coloring and stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. At least when he's in his suit. When he's, if, if, when he's sitting there in his suit and he takes his mask off, then his face looks normal, but the suit's always got that flat white look. Yeah. Huh. But, and then it gets really bizarre at the end where he's talking to a, a psychologist, but then that kind of gets really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely check it out. I'm interested, uh, interested to see where it goes. He kind of seems like an interesting character. It's hard to get a lot of his personality out of this issue. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of, it's, you know, it's not a lot of setup, but it's basically set up like, you know, it's a number one and Marvel's been doing the all new, the all new now or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they're pushing, Marvel now. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So they're pushing, you know, a jump on point. So it's definitely a jump on point. Mm -hmm. Um, I would check out more issues. I'm curious about it.
3: Yeah, I mean too. It seems interesting. Mm-hmm. And another, real quick, Batman correlation. He's very detectivey. Yeah. You know, he's not he's not just like, oh, there's a bad guy, I'm gonna go kick his butt. He's uh-huh. like analyzing the the crime scene and figuring out things that the cops are even like, how do you know that? He's like, well, blah blah blah
0: blah blah. Yeah, that's part of what was interesting about him going after the bad guy is that the whole thing was like he analyzed the crime scene. And he's like, most likely the, most likely the guy's gonna be here based on like, on clues and his deduction. Mm-hmm. And then he goes after the bad guy, and the bad guy's there and they have a confrontation, you know, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you have something specific you want to bring up? Oh, sure. Okay.
3: Okay, the, then my recent things that I've started reading were, um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Samurai Jack. How far do you recall
0: You got at least ten issues in the Teenage Mutant Ninja
3: Turtles. Hold on, I can find out for sure. Um, But both of those are very much like, yeah, only ten actually. I'm on the, I'm about to start the eleventh one. Um, Very much like the show. So if you enjoy the show, you'll enjoy the books because I do. And I was saying they're um, they're lighter, so it's nice when you read, like I do. I read a lot of serious stuff, a lot of death and. A lot of kind of just really horrible stuff happening to people, and some of the stuff that I that I read, like um, all the you know, well besides yeah, Batman I mean, and
0: whatnot, but a lot of dark books. Yeah. Um, can I jump in for a second? Okay. Yeah. On teenage, <laughs> sorry, on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um, I'm not. I couldn't say which issue, but I I am within the first ten issues still. First off, the reincarnation concept is weird. Mm-hmm. But I really, mm-hmm. I really like that backstory, and that is a part where the book did get pretty heavy. The backstory between, behind, um, the force, the man with the four sons,
2: mm-hmm.
0: who they kind of allude, not even allude, they straight say is, you know, Splinter and the mm-hmm. Turtles in a previous form. But I was really shocked that the bad guys lopped their heads off and then killed the guy. Like, I guess I should have seen it coming,
3: mm-hmm.
0: but I was not that, it, in that case that it did get pretty heavy but I was yeah. really surprised by that
3: yeah. I I kind of saw it coming but I me and um, and you know from the, the movies it kind of you already know that at least splinter if not the mm-hmm. the rest of, of them um, is a reincarnation of some ancient Japanese person I guess. Well, dude. Oh, okay. okay. In fact, the exact, that exact <laughs> character that.
0: Um... I, I, I know, but I thought. I thought in the movies. How
3: many
0: of them did you watch? Oh. I did not watch. I. I the first three. There were only the first three, weren't there? Right. Live action. I only watched Turtles. Well, tec- the third one.
1: Like <laughs> Technically, as I push up my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they have the T M N T movie and yeah. But yeah, as far as live action goes, there's just the three. Yeah. But I think uh um, Splinter he's not necessarily like he's not necessarily Hamato Yoshi, but he basically becomes like the extended version of Hamato Yoshi because no, yeah. he's he
0: was he was yeah. he was his rep, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. Oh you're in right, that, you're the, right.
0: In the, in the in the movie he is, but yeah. in the
1: cartoon was, he was straight up Hamato Yoshi.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, you're kind of right too. Mm,
3: okay. We're both right. And both wrong. Oh, I accept that. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> He's right. But she's sure. right. They're both right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but it, it didn't. It, I I was expecting it, and maybe that's why it didn't shock me. And plus, you know, I'm um, compared to okay compared to the other things. Yeah. That I read. Yeah, that's true. It's it's light. Okay. And then the other <laughs> uh, one is. Um, serenity leaves on the wind which is a continuation of um, the whole Firefly uh, group or the ones that are still around after the movie serenity uh, and I only read the first issue so far but it's pretty good and it seems to also follow pretty well and like I, I like Firefly I like serenity and I'm excited to have it continue and I have not read any of their other uh, other stuff it's all- I
0: it's almost like you knew Jesse was going to ask you if you've read it or any of their other stuff.
1: <laughs> but yeah, there's a there's a handful of other like side books where they extend and kind of um, flesh out some of the characters. Like Shepherd book um, is no longer around, so they do a whole mini series that's actually in hardcover uh, where they talk about you know a little bit more of where he came from.
3: Mm-hmm. It's okay.
0: Were there
1: any other titles you wanted to mention, Jesse? Uh, well, yeah, I've got, well, I was, you know, we could continue with the, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just a little bit. Uh, they started a mini series called, uh, the Utram Empire. It's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mini series and they're in, I think they're into their third issue. I've only read the first two and, uh, that continues with some storylines that you guys probably haven't hit yet, but it really expounds on a little bit more of Krang's backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been doing a lot of like, mini-series and micro-series about the... Uh, about each character. Uh, The first arc, they followed a micro-series about each of the main heroes, and then they did a micro-series about each of the main villains. And so we get to hear a little bit more about, like, Krang's backstory as well as Baxter Stockman's backstory, um, all these different characters. And this Utram Empire kind of ties the present in with some of those micro- uh, what they called it, a micro series, some of those backstories. So we're we're flushing out a little bit more of what Krang did after sort of what you could call his origin, and we're seeing how it's impacting things in the present as as far as the main title goes. Mm-hmm. And so. I don't want to spoil anything that's going to happen since you guys are are reading the book. But I just wanted to throw it out there because it's an interesting miniseries for anybody that really likes where that storyline is going with Baxter Stockman and the Fugitoid and Krang and all the characters we would have known of as being Weapon X, or not Weapon X, but Dimension X characters from the old cartoon. Mm-hmm. They they're gonna you know, they're taking that and they're kind of expanding that. And we're seeing a little we're seeing some lesser known characters from from like the old cartoon series. Uh, they had the uh, like the Triceratops looking dinosaur guy. Yeah. He comes into play Be-bonk into. In the well, they they show up, but uh, this is this is really obscure. This is a really oh, obscure okay. character, and they're they're gonna, they're pulling him in, and it's it's kind of an interesting way that they're pulling it in. And I just thought I'd mention it because uh, the, the art style is pretty interesting in some of these side books, uh, and the artist uh, um, is Andy Kuhn, and the writer for this series is Paul Allure, and I've been uh, one of his Twitter followers for a little while, and. He, he's a pretty interesting writer to, to kind of follow. And he's been doing a lot of these micro series
3: yeah. stints. So. I need to look some of those up because I even, when I was reading, I was, I mentioned to him, I'm like, there's like all these little micro series that have stuff happening that they're referencing. And I don't yeah. know what's happening because I haven't read any of them. And there's like, um, I can't remember her name, but like the white Fox, I think she's character. Oh,
1: Al- Alopex. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Like, it, it seemed like from what it was doing like they introduced her in one of those and I was oh, I was like ah, <laughs> I need it now because <laughs> I need to know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, some of them are are like some of them will tie almost directly in and some of them have very little like they're just a one off but they're they're pretty fun uh, especially I'd say the first series um, with all the with all the heroes for sure because you really get to dig into the mindset of each of the individual turtles mm-hmm. and you get to see kind of how they're how they differ. Like one of my favorites is the Donatello one because I feel like they've really fleshed out Donatello in this new series mm-hmm. and given him more personality rather than being like the blue power Ranger of the group where it's like, oh, we don't know how to explain this. Donatello mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> Be- beyond just the, uh, the exposition guy
1: yeah exactly mm-hmm. which ironically have you ever seen uh, this is a total tangent have you ever seen word girl on PBS no there is a guy there is a guy actually called exposition guy <laughs> really? and, and he looks like me with brown hair
2: <laughs>
0: that's <laughs> oh that's great I,
1: I found that out this week so
0: Oh, that's great. Mm. Uh, Sorry. no, yeah, no, that's good. Uh someday I'll get into the story about how kids used to yell Mr. Kiefer at me.
1: Oh <laughs> Did I ever tell that, you that? I suppose. Because you have a ponytail.
0: I have a ponytail <laughs> and I had some facial hair all the time. All the time. Oh, In fact, to one point to one there's this uh, I used to walk to work when I lived in Fremont and there was Mm -hmm. this house I would walk by at a certain time and there were always kids in the backyard. Every (laughs) day. Mr. Kiefer! Mr. Kiefer! And I'd be like, I'm not him! You know? (laughs) One day I walked by and they're like, Mr. Kiefer! And I'm like, I'm not him! The kid goes, Yes you are! (laughs) I was like... I got frightened. I was like, No! (laughs) No!
1: I, I actually get, I get that a lot, where they'll say, I saw you, and you were here, and I'm like, no, I wasn't. Uh, so at least once, that was probably you. Yeah, I, I,
0: I guarantee at least once.
2: <laughs> all the time.
0: At the mall, I'd be going to a movie. Yeah, anyway. oh That's pretty much the story. But yeah, I used to get that all the time. <laughs> um I wanted to mention real quick, before we move on to also... Animal mm-hmm. Man,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the last issue of Animal Man came out, and I was super excited for this issue mm-hmm. because we started reading. We we started reading Animal Man because it tied into Swamp Thing so heavily right. with the Rot World event at the beginning of um like it went on for the first year of the New Fifty Two. Mm. And <laughs> Animal Man's a pretty good title. It was one of those. It's like one of the most surprising titles to me. To wear. um. Like I said, just because it tied into Swamp Thing, I started reading it, and I think there's a lot of the Rot World stuff that I actually liked more during Animal Man, in Mm -hmm. Animal Man than Swamp Thing. Yeah. Really good book, Mm -hmm. and it's heavy. It's one of those heavy books. It's not necessarily... Sometimes it could be fun, but there was also a lot of heavy stuff in it. And the last issue finally came out, and I was very disappointed. Yeah, me too. Because it's, uh, like, a very nothing issue. There's this there's at least one big thread that they set up a few issues ago that you kind of expect to anything to happen mm-hmm. with and they don't. They I mean there's like a, a a very subtle mention
3: of it. There's like a single panel that it implies looms. he's thinking about it. Yeah. And that's it.
0: And then otherwise the issue itself is pretty much like it's not bad as like a series um closer. You know, it's kind of, it's called Goodnight Animal Man. Yeah. But for the most mm. part, all it is is a recap of the whole series.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it doesn't address the one issue. Um, I believe it's being written by, yeah, Jeff Lemire. Jeff Lemire is going to be doing basically Justice League of America. They're changing the title, but, um.
3: Isn't it supposed to be for Canada?
0: Well, they were t- debating, cause he's Canadian, and they were debating changing it to Justice League of Canada, but, oh. but they decided that probably wouldn't be good for other readership, <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah. So it's gonna be Justice League United, uh, I could be wrong about that title, I'm sorry if I am. But he's writing that, and the thought process is, that'll probably be something that's gonna be addressed in that comic book, because that's gonna be kind of a more of a, a, a galactic style story. Right. Right. So, I was just really bummed that they didn't, like... Because that was, like, the last couple issues, I heard the series was ending, and I was like, oh, man, you know, it sets this this potentially also really heavy situation up. So I was excited, because I thought it was going to get addressed, and it just didn't. It was yeah. almost ignored. So, it's still a good book, and it was not a terrible end to a series, because most of the immediate... Uh, Storyline was wrapped up, but there's that one huge thread, and I was really disappointed that that didn't get addressed. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, Animal Man, you know, check it out. <laughs> you know, it's still a good, jo- good show. <laughs> yeah, jolly good show. It's, all- <laughs> <laughs> it's a jolly good show. <laughs> Man, I feel bad. I should ex- explain to the listeners we lost a big chunk of the recording for recent reads. So, I kind of feel like I'm cutting it short, but I don't want to take up all night, all all your guys' time tonight. So, I suppose we should probably move on. Do we want to jump into our poll list? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, The poll list. Ooh, I need to check. So, I think how this is going to work, since somebody recommended, um, and this is actually one that somebody entered in the other so this is a recommendation from a listener or somebody that come across the link on Reddit or Twitter.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, <laughs> Batman, uh, death of the family. And since we'd all read that, we're like, well, yeah, that'd be great. We can do that the next episode. So then I was thinking that sets us off, right? Um, we're going to do that one. And then I'm going to take a look at the whole list right now. Ooh. And then we're going to decide what we're going to read this next coming month. Okay. Oh, that's a good call. So, whatever the votes are at now is what we're going to be reading. And that's kind of, I think how we'll do it for, you know, for the, thank you for the rest of the show. So every time we do, we do an episode, we'll look at the poll list, see where it's at. And, and that'll be our next assignment. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So assuming we get through it, um, we do have access to it. Uh, Right. We will be talking about Mouse next episode. Okay. Oh, have you ever read that? I
1: have not. That's on the list of shame, anyhow, for the wall of shame. Yeah, it's
0: supposed to be. It's supposed to be great. It's one of the ones where they talk about like the best of the medium, and uh, yeah. it's rec- it's on all like the greatest lists and recommended uh, graphic novels lists.
3: Mm. And actually, now that I look at it, all all three of those on there I put on my list of things that I need to read at some point in uh-huh. time. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be good.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll be talking about mouse next episode, but this episode
3: if we get through it, if we, if we get through it, I don't know how. Yeah.
0: It's 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 a it's a graphic novel. I don't know how long it is. I believe it yeah. was originally released in two parts, but it's oh, I have the complete. Mouse.
3: I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about you guys.
0: I know, <laughs> but it's not like a, it's not like an ongoing. Uh-huh. I don't know how long it is, but it's at least it's not like a, a hundred issue run or something, right? You know. In right. which case, I was thinking if we get suggestions for ongoing runs, I know Punisher Max was kind of an ongoing. We could either mm. just tackle the first like volume, the first book, or mm. the first storyline arc or couple story arcs. Yeah, Or we could, like, kind of research what people consider the essential story arc of right. that t- series is. Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily have to tackle a whole series.
1: Mm-hmm. Plus, yeah. then,
0: if we like the series, we can go off and read it on our own, you know? Yeah. Sounds good. It
1: could be, like, a sequel to uh, Swamp Studies, if that's the case.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. So, yeah, Mouse. Cool. Um. Okay. Batman. Death of the Family. All
2: right.
0: Um, I don't have notes up for this. Uh, this is Batman. Hold on. I think I have it. No, you have it on your phone. Yeah. It's Batman issue, um, 13 through, 13
3: through 17. Yeah.
0: 13 through 17. Um, written by Scott Snyder. Uh, the bulk of the art is Greg Capullo. Um, of course the, you know, uh, Batman title,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: creative team. Um, there are backups that are also written by Scott Snyder, but have art by other people. I feel bad for not doing my research and having their names offhand. I do not. But, anyway, that is what we're doing. Um, I'm not sure how to best approach this. I read, in preparation for this specifically, I read the hardback um, collected trade of it. Mm-hmm. I've read the single issues before. You re-read the, you reread the single issues. Yeah. And then... Um, Jesse's read it before.
1: Yeah. So, well, we all had, I kind of, I spot reread. Yeah. I read it a couple yeah. Yeah. things. Well, first of all, we've got to go full, full spoiler on this. Don't we?
0: Good oh, call. Yeah. Good call. Um, yeah, full spoiler. If you haven't read it, ignore this and go read it right now. <laughs> yeah. I still recommend it. I, I, I enjoyed it the first time I enjoyed it this time. There might be a couple issues that I'll mention, but, um, Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it and still would recommend recommend people read it
3: yeah so I think you have more problem with it than I did the second time yeah
1: my overall takeaway from it was that i yeah I enjoy it and I even just thinking back on it um, even my my issues with it um, it it really starts out as a very fun story arc mmm I think most of my issues and and most of the general issues that you find online were with how it ended.
0: Yeah. On my reread, my read-through again, I found, and this is how it was when I first read it, um, I really enjoyed the first issue a lot. Mm-hmm. You have notes on issue one.
3: Oh, I have notes on every issue, well, but uh, I'm not going to go through this. I have, like...
0: I've- okay, okay, we're, no, we're going to let you take the lead for a second, and it'll help jog, us, jog our memory. <laughs> okay,
3: because c- okay. I have, like, four pages of notes I took. <laughs> the, okay,
0: your first note on issue one.
3: Okay, well, that was just... I I, lo- I like the beginning and the talk about the bad omens uh, with all the rain they were having and the two-headed lion.
0: I really like how it starts off. Mm-hmm, me I too. mean, it could be... It's. I don't think it comes across cheesy, and they even fix it in dialogue because it starts off, it's talking about... Bad Omens, and there's a two-headed beast born, and, uh, the river flowing backwards.
2: Yeah, And then,
0: they, and then, Gordon, they kind of dismiss it as, like, well, that's at least, that's what the papers will say if something really bad happens, you know? And then, yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah.
3: So, I enjoyed that. And then, a, a lot of it, a lot of what I wrote down is nitpicky stuff. Um, like, Joker goes in and kills all these cops. Uh, like, shortly after that. Um, but... This is Gotham. So these, they fight with, or deal with supervillains all the time. And even Joker probably before. But he comes in, and it's like, bam, killed that guy, bam, killed that guy. They like, don't even put up a fight at all. It just seems unrealistic to me. I, I had issues with that.
0: I like, I love the, the taunting he does of Gordon. The
3: mm-hmm.
0: conversation, they, where they literally make him a boogeyman. The conversation, or the, uh, the dialogue about, hiding under Gordon's bed at night and listening to the the sad things he says in his sleep. Yeah. That stuff is great. Uh Uh-huh. I will agree with you. It bugged me a little bit the first time and a little bit more the second time, the fact that I understand the Joker's different now. He's angrier. He's doing things with his own hands. It still is a little unrealistic that he, I mean, in terms of a Batman book, that he walked into a police station and was just snapping police necks left and right. Yeah. Being totally unarmed.
3: Okay. And I think they said, I mean, I don't know, it could have been a later record, there were more deaths, but it said he killed like 19 cops or something. Really?
0: <laughs> He's got to have sore arms after that.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's not easy to snap necks. No, no it's not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, not that I know everything. <laughs> you can't just do it. Yeah, no, no. Again, I
1: haven't tried, but you can't.
0: <laughs> yeah, the second read-through, I found that part a little cheesier. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Okay, well,
3: I might skip over some of
0: that. And both times, I find it odd that the Joker's, like, talking to him,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and then the lights come on and Batman's there. I just feel, it just feels like an odd transition to, like... The Batman should have seen Joker coming out on his way in or something. Yeah. Like, it's just, Batman's just there. It's like, well, if Batman could just be there as soon as the lights come on, uh-huh. he probably could have been there a couple minutes earlier. Yeah,
3: and, and, if, it, and all, yeah, I had an issue with that, and also, why was he there? It's not like they were all, like, radioing and stuff. They were all cowering in fear to we didn't get their necks snapped rather than doing <laughs> anything proactive, so I
0: don't know. It's like you said, it is a little bit nitpicky, but it's it's it's, you know, it, it's a minor gripe. It's yeah. one of those where it's, you just kind of have to look the other way, you know. It's I
3: know, i It benefits
0: the story. But, no, I, I I wanted you to mention that because I, I agree.
3: Okay. And then, um...
0: I don't want to just praise the book, so it's okay to have some nitpicks. I want to be constructively... Criti- I want to criticize it constructively.
3: Okay, well, I have this kind of written chronologically. Like, I would read and then stop and write stuff down. Uh, but I might jump ahead of for a second. Because um, this is, this is a, another area with this kind of... Um, when, uh, the, all the policemen later were poisoned, you would think big Batman's like a super detective, and the, uh, commissioner, whoever he is, mentions that they just had the floor cleaned. Oh yeah. The that ma- would automatically, if I were a super detective, I would be like, oh, that's, that's an outside, you know, variable with chemicals. I should probably check that.
0: Yeah. The mayor mentions that. Yeah.
3: And, and that was also, I wrote down, I'm like, okay, after Joker's visit in the floor shine, are there even any cops left? <laughs> because, <laughs> man.
0: I do love, I believe it's during that sequence, I do love the little conversation between Batman and Commissioner Gordon, um, mm-hmm. when Batman's standing atop the, uh, the elevator, mm-hmm. and Commissioner's like, can, can, do I look, what does he say? Um, he said, does it show? Does it show? And he's talking about how nervous he is because Batman's got all all of their vitals mm-hmm. uh, on display. Mm-hmm. Um, and Batman says no. But yeah, it, that was, I thought was a good, a good moment mm-hmm. where it just, displ- where it shows like how friendly Batman and Gordon are, that they're kind of close mm-hmm. and that Gordon be like, you know, obviously he knows that.
3: Mm-hmm. I like that. And I like the little uh, uh, Batman, you know, inner monologue. That followed that, talking about trying, you know, you being afraid and having to hide your fear because they if they know you're afraid, they'll just, they'll just uh-huh. uh, keep keep coming, basically. And I thought they won't anyway, but you know, mm-hmm. I like the, I like that whole little spiel right there too.
1: On that first issue, uh, one of the things that really struck me, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he kind of just like waltzes in a la. Michael Myers style. Like he doesn't say anything until he gets his face. Am I right? Um,
0: yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm.
1: He, I, I, I really dug that. I, it felt very classic horror. It was like, who is this guy? Cause you know, and you know, it's, you know, it's coming. But mm-hmm. if you, if you take yourself out of the story for a second, it's like, this is creepy. What's going on? And then boom, now he has his face. Now he has his voice and he's back.
0: Mm-hmm. That is something that I appreciated. Is for the most part, what Snyder did was take. We're gonna do a, a Joker story, and we're just gonna turn it into a straight horror movie, mm-hmm. and almost yeah. pull a, a pay homage to. You mentioned Michael Myers, and that's perfect because he's even running around in like a jumpsuit.
3: Yeah, oh, I uh, overall, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's running around or, uh, in a it, garage. It,
3: it is more of a suit, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Jumping towards the end of a little bit when they have. Um, the big final confrontation and they have this, the table set up
2: uh-huh.
0: um, that is very Texas chainsaw massacre mm-hmm. with the family around the table. And, and, you know, Batman kind of plays the role of, um, uh, depending which sequel it is, it's usually a, a chick, the main chick of the movie yeah, strapped into the chair. Yeah. Um, there's a chainsaw, that comes up at one part where Joker's oh, doing yeah. the...
3: Uh, I love that. It's the, ch- it's the chainsaw the, in, in the, the yeah. In like the, the stone,
0: yeah. the sword
3: in the stone, yeah.
0: <laughs> he totally... The horror influence is there.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That leather face. It's so, you know... Uh, yeah. Just yeah. very... Yeah. Sorry.
3: No, I was just, just going to say um, another... It's kind of not a big deal. But from the first issue, the first guy he... Well, I guess... The first guy he takes host- hostage was John... Claridge or something, he dressed him up as him and, like, you know, did the hands behind his back, and then later he had Harley dress up as him, and I'm like, why is he having other people dress up as him? Because he's so scary and creepy looking right now. He should just be, just stand there, and and it would inspire fear. It
0: it is kind of uh, another kind of motif of having the Joker dress other people up as him, Mm -hmm. and then him and Batman later.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: When they kind of call back to that um, at the very end of that issue and the start of the next one with the vat with the acid, Uh and so like that makes me think of um, with the movie actually that feels like a callback to the first Batman movie with Michael Keaton, where you know he starts using the the poison gas and everybody dies with a smile on their face. Mm -hmm.
0: There was this great bit of dialogue. I don't believe it was, it was right at the beginning of the second issue, but it was while Batman, okay, so Batman's after Joker, he finds, he thinks Joker dressed up as in the Red hood outfit because the Joker is recreating, um, like the first encounters he had with Batman.
2: Right.
0: Turns out it's Harley Quinn, but anyway, Batman gets knocked into this vat, which starts filling up with the chemical. I believe it's the beginning of the next issue. Batman's in there and he's yelling out at at, at Harley, uh, "Where is he?" Also, I enjoyed that Harley Quinn says, um, "He's not my Mister J anymore. He's different." Yeah. I like that bit. If one of you guys has something to say,
3: over I know on, what you're on that say, part.
0: But... I, I got to find this piece of dialogue real quick.
1: Well, at the beginning of that issue, uh, he does this whole inner monologue thing about how he knows the contents of that chemical by heart yeah. Uh-huh. and how he, like when he can't sleep, he'll, he'll look at it again and, uh, and just keep looking for what's that secret ingredient that created the Joker. Mm-hmm. What's that one thing that tipped it over the edge and, and created him. Um, and I just thought that was interesting that, you know, it's like the Joker still keeps him up at night kind of thing. Uh huh. You know, or yeah, they still, he's still kind of tortured by what, what in the world caused this.
2: Mm hmm.
0: And I like that they even kind of spell out the whole chemical compound of what, or the the makeup of what this chemical is. Yeah. Okay, one second, and I'll have this dialogue. Something Harley says to Batman that I really enjoy. How do you close ads on this thing? Okay. Because Batman's in there, and he's screaming out, you know, where's Joker Harley? Harley says he's gone, Bat's gone. Maybe, though, maybe you'll be the next one, like I always thought you would be. Um, maybe you'll come back like he used to be back then. I like the idea that Harley entertained the thought that Batman will be the next one to snap and be a joker type. Yeah. And that she always, you know, Mm -hmm. that's almost like she wanted him to, you know, that's, that was something she thought about. Mm
2: -hmm. I thought
0: that was interesting. I just like when, you know, they jump into it's, that's the idea of Batman's almost as crazy as all the villains. It's just that little bit that holds it well, back. Well, she,
1: she's like a, uh, or originally, I don't know if she is still post 52, but she was originally uh, like a shrink for
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, Arkham, right? Yeah. So yep. she would
0: know, she would know that kind of thing too. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she still, she still was, um, her origins, mostly the same. There's little differences, mm-hmm. but yeah, mostly the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, the this this abuse, and psychological abuse that Joker puts Harley through uh-huh. in the little bit that Harley's in this,
2: uh-huh.
0: making her believe oh, he's going to yeah. cut her face off, yeah, is really harsh. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> it's
0: yeah. really brutal. Yeah, I, was, they
1: made him scary again. I think for sure.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, and he even tells her. Okay, so she thinks he's going to... I'm sorry to get on dialogue kicks. There's only a couple little bits of dialogue that really stuck with me. And this is another one of them was...
3: That she, was at the end of the episode before.
0: The end of the first issue. Yeah. In the backup story. Uh-huh. Um, she believes, you know, the Joker's going to cut her face off. And she says uh, something to the effect of, Will you still find me beautiful? And Joker says something like, Oh, Harley, what makes you think I ever found you beautiful? Yeah. Something like that.
3: He's so mean. Uh
0: huh.
1: Oh, Mr. J. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: Okay, I'm moving on. Okay, yeah, go ahead. But, um, just, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. After the Vat bit, um, I love this sequence. And it's, again, it kind of ties into the horror story thing that you were talking about. But when Batman gets back to the Batcave and he gets out and he's automatically talking to Alfred and then he realizes he's not there. Oh, yeah. And he wanders around. He's like, Alfred, Alfred. And I love, he's walking around and it's like, creak. It like shows the (laughs) creaks of him walking around this big empty house.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I love that. I really, and I hadn't thought about it till you mentioned it. I enjoy that he gets back to the Batcave, hops out of the car, and is just instantly talking to Alfred. Because for the most part, Alfred's always just standing there waiting.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then he finds you. You mentioned the cassette tape.
3: Yeah, the cassette tape, and I'm like, apparently this was written in 1985.
0: Because, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was impressed that uh, Bruce still had a, a cassette deck to play it on.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the Joker is an audiophile, or he's he's really into retro tech.
0: I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something I didn't think about till just now, since we're talking about the cassette tape, I enjoyed the little uh, the clues that Joker would leave to lead Batman to the next thing. Mm-hmm. The extra chemical, uh uh-huh. in whatever that would lead him to ace a uh, mm-hmm. chemical, um, and then
1: well, and Gordon he goes to Gordon next because uh, Gordon's on the uh, the, the recording, tank. yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah.
0: I, I enjoyed those. Those were, uh, well, some of those were really clever. I thought,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and then after that, mostly what I've got is a lot of. Batman kind of begin he will won- he doesn't want to share and everybody's all butt hurt and
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think because then yeah, and this is the part where the where the story sags a little bit for me. Um, naturally kind of in the middle, but <laughs> where it really is it's it's where the drama is. Batman scene is being extra Batman. Uh huh. Uh, to put it nice, you know, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't want to tell anybody anything. Alfred's been taken, and mm-hmm. the only person he tells is Nightwing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and he insists that nobody else gets involved. And th- it feels slightly forced that they have... I mean, Batman's prone to pushing them out anyway, but it seem, feels slightly forced that he's so, so... Yeah. ...forcefully keeping them out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they are also extra whiny... Mm-hmm. About yeah things. yeah they do yeah the conversation in the cave um, where they where he finds out about finding the card the Joker card in the cave
3: mm-hmm. that's in the third or issue fifteen the third of the the third
0: issue uh-huh. that conversation drives me a little crazy and I think every all the characters in there are unrealistically too willing to jump right on Batman's back about it yeah. And also, for the most part, it's like it happened before you were even around, so how is he... I don't know. They yeah. just play like... They're upset at him for never telling them, but...
3: Mm-hmm. And even even after...
0: I'm on Bruce's side on this one.
3: Me too, because even after he <laughs> explains his reasoning, which, you know, is a pretty good reasoning, he's like, hey, you know, going underwater for miles at 50 miles an hour, nobody can hold on that long. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Science, Except just it's science. Accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Stop being so angry about it. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, I don't know. And
0: I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's what he should
0: have said. That would have ended the conversation
3: instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to the beginning of the third issue. Oh, one of my favorite parts of the whole thing is the the like pupil talk when he's talking about how. You but, look at people, and you know when they're happy or whatever, their pupils expand. And there's jokers. like
0: seven very vari- or seven like pupil movements that, uh, you know, what is it? Reflect emotion, and then like fifteen variations on each, and all uh-huh.
3: that. Yeah. And then the Joker's are don't move; they're just like tiny little little z.
0: Pin- uh, they're like little tiny black pearls. Yeah. But little pinpoints of it's just like he hates everyone. All the time. Yeah. His pupils never change.
3: (laughs) I, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um,
0: and then to jump a little bit later, it's an interesting, uh, bit of internal monologue that Batman has about being afraid that he's going to see the Joker, Joker's pupils
3: expand with love. mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I remember that too. I'm not, I don't really know a whole lot about art, but there's a couple, um, Spots and there in the third issue, there was one where um, they punched Joker, and and oh yeah, and the uh, the face the face shifts, and so his face is on like sideways as, there's a really good um sequence.
0: Yeah, that was good. One of the I don't want to get too into it at all, but one of the tie-ins I think it was the Batman and Robin tie-in, which was not necessarily great on its own, but one of the tie-ins actually like whoever did the art on that one it might have been that, that Patrick Gleason who the listener isn't going to know that I talked about earlier mm-hmm. um <laughs> did a lot of crazy play with the fact that his face could be changed and moved on his face mm-hmm. and at one point he's got the joker i think hanging upside down or maybe he just puts his face upside down so his eyes are looking through the the mouth hole and you can see his teeth through the eye holes Yeah, remember that one? Yeah, there was some uh, cool play. But and capulo didn't do too much of that but yeah when when he takes that punch mm-hmm. yeah definitely cool
3: and then shortly after that there's uh batman waking up and the family's there and then uh the alfred comes in except he's got the joker face
2: mhm
3: and that was all right but what i like is that right after that he wakes up and he's except for being in the bed he's in the bat cave but it's like the same circumstance like he wakes up and he's like ugh, oh, and then the whole family's there right around him and i'm like i, I It's kind of like one of those things where you wake up from a nightmare and then you wake up into another nightmare. kind of. It's like a
0: similar situation, but yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And this is more nitpickiness for me, but this is where we find out about his plans from Arkham and whatnot. And apparently he's been there for a while, and he's got all these guards he's keeping there and all these other guards that he's blackmailing and sending home every day. And you would think there's people coming, you know, bringing prisoners there or visiting there or doing something there. And... I found that very implausible. That
0: the Joker's taken over the whole asylum,
3: yeah, for apparently quite a period of time, and nobody's found out, or you know, slipped and told somebody, or something.
0: That's one of those things where, yeah, I don't want to jump on it for being unrealistic because it's still it's a Batman comic book, blah blah blah. Yeah, but that run that really does kind of stretch. Like once you get in there, it's cool. Mm -hmm. The whole it's crazy, but it does stretch. The plausibility pretty thin yeah, like- that he's completely taking over the whole asylum. And for the most part, nobody on the outside knows anything about it or has said anything about it.
3: Mm-hmm. Don't even notice missing horses, even though I love the horsey bit.
0: The horse bit is great. <laughs> Not yeah. necessarily the burning horse part. That's cool. That it is looks, cool, too. looks yeah. very cool. But, yeah, the bar- bit where they're carrying, it's in one of the backups between issues. They're carrying in, he's having the guards or whoever carry in a horse. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> which I don't
0: know why they would be carrying it like that yeah but the horse falls and lands on one of the guy's legs and the joker's upset of course and he's like well this horse is, what is he this horse is no good or this horse is ruined. ruined I think this horse is ruined and he shoots the horse in the head and then one of the guys is like what about Steve the guy who the horse fell on he's like Steve is ruined and he shoots Steve <laughs> That's a good joker moment I think that's one of my favorite like yeah. act, just joker moments yeah. Well, Steve is ruined.
1: This, uh, this whole, and and maybe I'm wrong, but isn't this whole um, story arc the death, death of the family? Isn't it kind of a tie back to death in the family where
0: Jason Todd? Most definitely. Oh yeah, it's definitely a play on on that.
1: Because isn't there a moment in that and. And maybe it's a different story arc where the two of them face face down each other, and you're trying to figure out if the Joker knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Is that
0: in? Yes, that's in the family. Yes, that's in the 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 last issue. I think it was four issue arc. That's in the last issue. I hadn't made that connection. That
1: becomes like a huge. uh, That becomes like an overarching plot point in this in this series. Is does he or doesn't he? know who they are because he keeps alluding that, yeah, I know who all of you are. I know where you live kind of thing. And I I was trying to piece that together today in whether or not that was what happened in uh, death in the uh, death in the family or not. No, yeah,
0: you're right. It's when and it's the whole that situation is ridiculous, but it's when the Joker's walking in to uh, this UN meeting or whatever. And Batman cannot do anything to the Joker because he's been anointed a... Uh, um, what's the word? Ambassador like, for... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's been anointed an ambassador for this this country. Um, and, yeah, as he walks in, Bruce Wayne's mean mugging him. And Joker looks back, and, and it's like six panels. And it's just like back and forth between the two. And the expression, like, on both their faces doesn't change the whole time.
2: Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah,
0: it's like you said... And jumping towards the end of this, Snyder even goes as far as to have um, Bruce Wayne's telling Alfred at the end of the story, at the end of all the stuff's happened, that he went to see the Joker a long time ago, like, you know. Um,
1: oh, yeah, that yeah, that's right.
0: And walked in and... As Bruce Wayne. As Bruce Wayne, and held up the card that the Joker left in the Batcave and said Joker. And the Joker looked at the card and looked at him, and it just, like, looked right through him. So mm-hmm. that's when Batman knew he wasn't a, this is really jumping towards the end, but that's when Batman knew he wasn't a threat to, like, coming into the Batcave because, and finding out his identity, because he doesn't care. Yeah. Right. I don't think it's too far of a jump to make an interesting link, uh, thematically between that and, like you were mentioning, them staring each other down to where it's like, does he or doesn't he know?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And if he knows, does he care? Because he's just staring. But.
1: Sure. And it was kind of a bait-and-switch, too, because the whole time uh, they're making it look like, you know, that's the iconic run where Jason Todd, as Robin, dies, so the whole time we're kind of gearing up for, oh, there's going to be a death. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, it's a big bait-and-switch, and I think that's, oh, I hate to get too much into this part right already, but I think part of what people were disappointed by in the ending is kind of it's, it's not that Snyder was trying to disappoint people, but he was definitely playing with expectations throughout the whole thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And there was, mm-hmm.
0: at least if you followed it online, there was so much hype. So much hype about it. And I think people were disappointed because it was kind of a bait-and-switch. Really, like, nobody in the Bat family died. Mm-hmm.
3: And I will say, I will yeah. say the, especially the first time, I, I of course, I already knew this time, but not that I wanted bad things for the family necessarily, but when they, he came out and he took the, you know, t- took their things off and their faces were all bandaged up,
2: mm-hmm.
3: I thought that was pretty awesome, especially, you know, when he then serves them their faces. That's so great. And then they were fine. And no. I was disappointed by that the first time around, at least.
0: I must say, just because, and not, like, necessarily to be twisted, but because I think it would be a far more impactful and interesting story, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I wanted it to be their faces.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It it
0: sounds so messed up, Mm -hmm. but, like, that would have been, like, actual serious, like, consequence from this whole thing.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. Or at least one of them. At least one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Dick Grayson. Dick yeah. Grayson without a space he's like the pretty boy so of teen titans and all
2: mm-hmm.
1: good call so that would have been like whoa now he's no longer you know like the the love interest of all these teen titan characters
0: mm. or even or even red hood uh, jason todd oh, yeah. just to yeah. like further be like you're the one that batman always fails Mm-hmm. I'm really disappointed that they don't push him back towards being a more villain character. Because mm-hmm. he's pretty much just a hero in the new 52.
3: You reminded me, one of one of my favorite parts of that whole bit is when um, the Joker is talking to them. Or I guess he's talking to Batman about them. Um, and uh he's like, and I'm going to get him, and get him, and get him again. Uh-huh. <laughs> and get him. <laughs> I love that little yeah. jab. <laughs>
0: uh. I don't have to get into it yet, but there's... A lot of dialogue changes and some of them are really weird. Like that, what made me think of it is that part. Mm-hmm. There's just little changes to where during that scene, he's talking to Batman and he's like, I'm going to get him and him and her. And they changed it so that he's talking to them and he says, I'm going to get huh. you and you and just like weird changes. I like don't, that. I
3: don't really like that because it seems. It seems more appropriate for him to be talking to Batman because he's being so dismissive of them.
0: That's, yeah, that's what, that was my thought process. I liked it better, or how it was in the single issues. Because it is almost like, cause I would think that's how Joker would feel about them. He wouldn't necessarily address them. They're just basically props in the room that he doesn't like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're there as, uh, chess pieces so he can manipulate Batman.
3: Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: At least that's, that's the take I prefer between mm-hmm. the two dialogue right.
1: versions. Yeah. yeah. We don't have to jump back, but some of my favorite bits in Arkham are where he's just kind of ruling all of the inmates. Like, he's just, like, running the riot act on, on Two-Face and uh, the Riddler. Oh, yeah. And just making him do what he wants.
0: Mm-hmm. No, yeah, we can... That's, that's one of my favorite issues out of the five. Like, the first one and then the last two, I think, are my favorite issues. Mm-hmm. And that's one of them... There's just, again, speaking of the horror theme, the tapestry of flesh. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. even went to the point to the inmates or whoever it was that they stitched together to make this tapestry mm. are still alive. Mm-hmm. Like... Oh, yeah. That's got some, That's got edge to it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. it was interesting to me that, well, first of all, they had so many uh, other villains all kind of working together. Mm-hmm. But then when he goes, um, kinda goes in, in through, gets past the horse part, basically, and starts going like, through a stairway or something towards them, he flies through like, what is it? Mr. Freeze, Clayface, and Scarecrow. And like it's nothing. Like it's nothing, like real fast. Yeah.
0: It, it, that bugged me a little bit, but then I was like, but also Batman's really mad.
3: Mm-hmm. So that's
0: how I justify <laughs> it. It's like, Batman is on a mission. Yeah. So he just <laughs> blows through them. But then you look at the stories where it's, like, a big story arc where he's dealing with one of those villains. Yeah. And it, like, kind of cheapens those stories. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, he went through those through them real quick. And then the other ones, I don't know, really, that they did with Two-Face or I don't recall. But the others, they had already kind of set up that that he had went and approached, that Joker had uh-huh. gone and approached them. And they had special parts to play. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, obviously it made, made sense for them to last yeah, longer. Yeah, they're, they're either,
0: you know, he convinced them to join there, or like, uh, in uh, Penguin's case, he blackmailed
3: him into being there. Yeah. Oh, and, I, sorry, Jesse, because I know you said you like 2 face but the, at the end of that <laughs> issue, the little extra bit, uh, he like hands Harvey his yeah big time he does
1: he totally does uh, and, and that hurt my heart a little bit but it i was like if anybody's gonna do it i guess yeah yeah, yeah.
3: and another interesting thing and that i took note of is that in the what are we talking about the fourth book is kind of what we're talking about right now they actually have mm-hmm. a Grolix in there and i appreciated that so i had to write it down Grawlix.
1: yes yeah. yeah there's a Grolix in um issue 14 at the end where he's uh what was he talking about? I don't know, but he throws out a Grawlix, and I thought, yes, there we go. That's why this is so appropriate for our first poll list.
3: Uh huh. Yeah, I liked it. So I was I was happy to see that. And we got
0: to talk about the finish, the climax of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That is where most of the dialogue changes are. And some of them, like I said, um, I sent Jesse a message earlier because I found a post <laughs> that compared the dialogue changes. Most of the dialogue changes are towards the end during the dinner scene, and the final confrontation. And it's really weird, some of the changes that they made. Some of it I like. Some of the changes I like because, and I think this was a motive, uh, main motivator for Snyder to change some of the dialogue, was to clarify um, a little bit. Because after this arc, Death of the Family ends up referring to, it kind of causes the members of the Bat Family to separate and put some distance between be, between them and Batman. Yeah, and right, and some of the dialogue changes they made kind of clarifies how that would be the case. Mm-hmm. And then there's mm-hmm. um, some of the uh, homoerotic themes, uh, the, the 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 subtext, yeah. or sometimes it's pretty blunt. It's not really subtext.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <coughs> it's is actually toned down a little bit. Yeah, and I thought that was odd. Despite, I was, the second time reading through the, the hardcover, it seemed more blunt to me
2: mm-hmm.
0: in the first part. But then, yeah, it like, it really is, okay, so Batman's got Batman and Joker kind of scuffle. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dialogue there. And then he ends up, he's got Joker at the edge of the thing. Oh. Regardless, dialogue changes. I really like that moment. Where Batman's like, no, it's not going to be an accident if it happens. Yeah. And he's like, you know, telling the Joker, mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe, maybe you pushed me push me to it this time. Type yeah. thing. And I enjoyed that.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I actually kind of like the, the dialogue there, though, because that's when Batman called Joker Darling and kind of turned turned it around on him.
0: That, I'm glad you mentioned that. Took it out. Are you serious? The, that's one Dar- of the dialogue changes. He, they took out Darling.
3: Oh, well, I like that. Man.
0: Batman doesn't call him darling. And that, yeah, that really bugs me because, and it's not even necessarily as a return of affection. It could be even viewed as like, um, you know, sarcasm. A
1: self-slam?
0: Yeah, it's a self-slam.
1: Ah, <laughs> <Not> callback.
0: <laughs> um, oh, I should have hashtagged that. I didn't. I'm going to start hashtagging everything with that. <laughs> But yeah, they took out that bit where, cause he says, you know, let me, I'll whisper it to you, uh, about, um, him knowing who Joker was before mm-hmm. and his name. And yeah, they took out the darling and that was like, I think that's the most disappointing because that's, I don't know. It just shows like, it's a little bit of Batman personality yeah. that you don't normally get. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And yeah. they took that out. So yeah. I was disappointed by that. Mm-hmm but I find it interesting that I think Batman was calling his bluff Mm -hmm. because when, towards the end, when Batman, at the very last scene, Batman's in the Batcave
3: Uh
0: and it's got a picture of Joker's face on the computer, it says Identity Unknown. Yeah. So I don't think Batman knew who he was.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I had thought of that actually when you were talking.
0: He was calling his bluff and Joker freaked out. Mm
3: -hmm. And I, I also like, though, um, well, this is later, like shortly after that, when he's talking to Alfred, and he says the re the reason that he didn't want to kill Joker, um, was not because you know obviously that he loved him, or that he was worried if he killed him he, he would go off, you know, um, over the line or whatever, uh-huh. and not be ever be able to come back, but that if he killed him, life would just or fate or whatever would just send someone worse to take his place. Mm. I, I really enjoyed that because you know, yeah, Joker's his big supervillain. Mm-hmm. So if you get rid of this big supervillain that's known, then who knows what could happen? I like that he so had that.
0: You want to know something else?
3: What
0: change that part too?
3: Are you serious?
0: Yeah, uh, well, these are
3: the things that I really like about it.
0: Um, keep talking. I'm gonna go grab the book real quick. I do like what they replaced that with, but I don't like that they replaced it because I agree, I like that bit. Yeah, I'll be right back. Keep talking.
3: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, here's something <laughs> I can say real quick that isn't really, doesn't pertain. Because, you know, this is all one story and from the first, first issue to the last they had those little end bits that I actually really enjoyed. And when it was all over and I, you know, I go to the next page and it's that stupid news thing that I hate. <laughs> I <was laughs> the, like, channel <laughs> the channel 52 segments at the end. Yeah. I was so disappointed. Um.
1: Oh. Is that with ambush bug? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So which part were you talking about? Who was, who was saying?
3: Bruce talking to Alf.
0: Okay. Yeah, you're right. I knew it because I know, uh, this might not be the part.
3: No, it's after that.
0: Okay. This next one? Maybe, yeah. Okay. No, I'm just saying Alfred. They know that he's wrong, don't they? About why I never did it before now? About all of it? Because he is wrong. I'll never let that happen, what he said. I'll never let it end up like that, everyone gone except me and, and him. Because they changed a the piece of dialogue. They, they just, ugh, there's just weird changes in it.
3: Yeah, no, I, I prefer the version that I read, the issue version. There's
0: little changes I like, and then there's several changes that seem unnecessary. Yeah. So, we don't have time it's- to... It's more.
1: tough because it's like it's like a retcon almost, you know, where it's like either stick to your guns, this is how you wrote it, stick with it, or you know, we've recompiled it for a, a book type of situation. So now we're it, refining it, but I don't know. I would prefer that they just kept with the original because that's what most people
0: read. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. And like I said, there were, okay, so Snyder wanted to change a few things to make it more clear. On the one hand, it's like, you know, tough crap. If the reader didn't get it, then they didn't get it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then on the other, and then it's also kind of like, well, if you have to change something, change it and then put the pencil down. Stop changing more.
3: Mm-hmm. Or Yeah,
2: be-
0: yeah.
3: You know, but better yet, what the, he could have done is they, they could have had one that was, how it was, and then had a, like an extra one they could have made more money. And this was that's the one of that these changes. If you wanted to read yeah, it, which yeah. nobody would have, though, probably because it was already good.
1: When I wonder how much of it was Snyder's fault, and how much of it was like an editor told him, This is the part you need, you need to change this, this wasn't clear. You know, like how much of it was uh, a conscious choice on Snyder's part, and how much of it was like an editor telling him, Well, you need to clean this up.
0: No, yeah, exactly, because Snyder takes full credit for it. He's talked about it. In fact, that's how I, that's how I initially, uh, heard that there were dialogue changes in the first place was from Snyder himself on a, on, on a podcast. Mm. Um, he takes credit for it. He said he wanted to change this and that and it was his idea. But, but also, the editors are pretty much his boss. I could also see him not wanting to throw his his boss under the bus and possibly, I mean, he's pretty sure. much he's pretty much DC's golden boy. But still, you don't want to rock the boat, you know, when you got a good thing going on.
1: Right. He's the new Jeff Johns. Yeah, they love
0: him. If they need a book to ah. go up, a lot of times they'll figure some way to throw his name on it, and it usually helps sales. Yeah. People, you know, and and rightfully so, he's good. I enjoy mm-hmm. him, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just one of those things. DC editorial's been doing a lot of really odd things uh, since the reboot, so. Yeah. You could never tell.
3: Oh, and I saw that picture at uh, at the very end, which is jumping way back. But I was really sad when the little two headed lion died. It it, it hurt. Oh, me
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree.
3: It was unnecessarily mean. Okay, my my last very last thing on there. Okay. Um, I like in Joker's gone, presumably dead, and whatever, and it's all done and over with. And then he's analyzing the extra added element in the poison oh, you used on yeah. them, <laughs> and it's the big ha up on the screen, and that's, like, yeah. the end of how it faded away with the ha. And and they even did it with the panels, like, moving uh, up to cool. it, so it's like, ha, 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 ha. I appreciate Oh, that. yeah.
0: Yeah, I thought that was great. That was a great way to end it, I thought. Yeah, me too. Because Joker yeah. got the final laugh.
1: hmm It's kind of reminiscent of that iconic page in The Killing Joke where you've got, him with his hands on his head and all the haws behind him. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it when they throw monopia into a modern book because it makes me think of uh, it makes me think of the '60s Batman.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one thing I like about *Death the Family* in general. He pays homage to Batman history itself, which was nice and kind of almost reassuring after the New Fifty Two reboot, because all yeah. the little scenarios that the Joker recreates are from actual older Batman stories. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
0: So it brings at least those moments into the current continuity, which is Mm -hmm. important, especially when you reboot a story and a year later, you essentially kill off Joker.
2: Yeah.
0: And then another year later, you essentially kill off another main Batman villain who I won't spoil this time around. (laughs) If you're interested in those, Jesse, I'll have to get you those. What were yeah,
1: you yeah, that—that's you've so- piqued my interest.
0: I'm sorry I spoiled it, but uh, it's <laughs> it, and maybe the story will read better altogether.
3: Yeah, rather mm-hmm. than waiting for mm-hmm. the mission. Th- yeah. That's
0: one thing I was curious about this story, Death of the Family. Rereading it because the first time I read it and it was that month to month, and I was reading all the tie-ins. And honestly, you don't need to read any of the tie-ins for the main story. Mm-hmm. A couple of the tie-ins were okay, but for the most part, like, none of them really hold up to that main story. Yeah.
1: How, how was the prelude? Because I didn't read any of the prelude. Because um, they were all in other books, I believe. Like, all the prelude takes place elsewhere, and then, um, was it? It jumps right in with Batman, yeah. the main book.
0: Um, for the most part, Unnecessary. The Catwoman, okay. the Catwoman one was totally Unnecessary. In fact, like... There was a prelude issue and then a tie in issue, and they were both, like, literally on the fringe of, like, the Joker himself was on the fringe of anything that actually happened in that, in those books. The Batgirl tie ins were actually pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. And then, mm-hmm. um, Nightwing's was pretty good. That's when Nightwing, like, Nightwing, since the death of the family, they've pretty much just been doing horrible, horrible things to Nightwing, nonstop, um, and that's when it started. His his were pretty good and kind of heavy. Oh, there's other spoilers I could tell you, Jesse, but I'll hold up on that. I won't tell you anything <laughs> about that. There, have you heard anything about what they've done to Nightwing uh, during the Forever Evil thing?
1: No, uh, well, I just, I've seen, like, pages where it, they're implying that they're doing terrible things to Nightwing, and, uh, no, I haven't heard, actually, what's going on yet.
0: Um, Slight spoiler: His fate is uncertain at this point. Mm-hmm. Is all all you can really say. And Nightwing is the series ended just recently.
3: Oh
2: yeah, oh.
0: yeah so oh,
3: great.
0: okay. Anything else on Death of the Family?
3: Mm, Not It was good. I enjoyed it.
0: It was interesting reading it. I read the hardcover in two sittings, mm. so, as opposed to like I said earlier, waiting month to month. Um, I think it kind of reads better that way. I mean, most comics do, but sure. it kind of it kind of reads. The ending feels less like a letdown when you read it like that, as opposed to at the time there was so much hype building up between each issue. Mm-hmm. It was inevitable that somebody's going to be disappointed. I guess we could throw a, like our our end on here though.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, does
0: Melanie know about it? No. <laughs>
3: what? Okay.
0: Oh, oh, even better. Great. This is Randy. Get to the Grolix.
3: This is Melanie. UBKA
1: Grolix. And this is Jesse. The Grolix You can't handle the Grolix. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to the Podcast. The Podcast is a production of the Electronic Media Collective and Vocal Arrow Studios. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. To hear more, visit GrawlixPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast and like us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash yeah See, i i love them i love them that's just that's the type of stuff that cracks me up